Welcome, my friends, to another fun episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today I have not one, but two guests. They are the father-daughter team of Sean and Caitlin Mulcahy. Um, you've already heard DJ Adams, uh, the author and actress. Well, this is her husband and her daughter, and they host the Dad's Daughters and Dollars podcast, which is really fun, really educational. I highly recommend it. Sean is a tremendous athlete and an assistant director on some of your favorite sitcoms. Caitlin uh, is a sports photographer, and she uh, shoots uh, photos of some of the biggest sporting events including the World Series and the Sugar Bowl and all that kind of stuff. And they are so lovely together just as a father-daughter team, but also really smart about finances and and their podcast is a must-listen. The same way that, you know, Abe's Muffins is a must-shove-in-your-face. And um, you know what? I'm just going to get right into this. We'll talk more about Abe's Muffins, this podcast, and all that stuff. Here are Sean and Caitlin Mulcahy. Caitlin and Sean Mulcahy, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm so excited to actually meet you and have you on the show. Thanks so much. So nice to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah. I can guarantee you. Can we just tell you real quick, this is the first time we are guests on anybody's podcast, so it's kind of nice. Oh, well, that's great. Uh, and it'll obviously be the most important podcast you've ever guested on. Oh, great. For now. <laughs> so, um, well, I, you're the first double. No, that's not true. Uh, I have a client named Alex Jameson, who actually is a no- Oscar-nominated producer for a documentary. If you saw um, Supersize Me, yes. she was the vegan chef who was married to Morgan Spurlock. No oh. longer. Right, and she was on with her husband, Bob. They were talking about some stuff. So I've actually had two people on at once before, but I don't think, well, which is, this is going to be so completely different because they're clients of mine. I'm fans of yours, and I'm going to tell you why. And for my listeners, the reason that you need to listen to the podcast, which is called Dad's Daughters and Dollars, is because... Caitlin and Sean are fun and make sense while they explain things that make most people's eyes glaze over, either because they just don't like dealing with money or they feel in the past they did it so badly, it's like a thing they don't even want to look at because they effed it up in the past, including me. I'll just throw out there, third marriage, two divorces, I gave away two houses. It is not a financially great move to basically buy and give away houses. Right. <laughs> so that's the bottom line. Yeah, there was a lot of catch up that's been happening. But um, but what I uh, back about you guys, you use this clever device of Sean, who's not a money manager in the professional sense, but he is the what I love in everybody I interview. He's incredibly curious and passionate. 
And I love that he's brought that to you, Caitlin, because I hear in the conversations you have, you're also really curious and passionate. Is that accurate? I would say so, yeah. I think the way that he manages to like frame some certain things or just even, you know, I'm forgetting how many episodes ago it was, you know, he incorporates a Lizzo song into it. And just that initial effort that is like completely unrelated and he just really tries really hard makes me that much more invested to, okay, let's learn about why like a brick house is better than a wood house or whatever. For insurance. For insurance, yeah, for home insurance. Cause personally for me, insurance is not something I have to worry about yet. And that's like the thing I'm worried about most in life, all the insurances um, that you have to pay for. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's great. I, I love doing this with him. Well, I think that, I think that the best episode so far from my point of view was early on talking about compound interest. Cause I think if anybody masters just one idea, that understanding that idea will completely transform their financial life. Without, without a doubt. And I know when we completed that episode, even though I'm proud of it, there was about 30 more things I wanted to say. Well, you have more episodes. You, you can know, do. when you say I'm curious, curiosity, I was always curious, but part of it came from the job that I have, which is as a freelance, like assistant director and a director, we have a lot of downtime in, in uh, Los Angeles, right? So probably in my most amount of weeks I've ever worked in one year was probably 33 to 34 weeks out of 52. Because you have like, if you're in a sitcom, you have three weeks on, you have a week off. And a lot of times you're doing some work, but you're not fully involved in all five days. So I was just constantly reading about finances because I'm like, oh, my show's on for 13 weeks and it's canceled and I still have a house. How do I pay for it? Right. So I'm trying to find out how can I manage my money the best and save money and cut costs and make sure that every penny that's going out of the house is actually needed to go out of the house because I work in a freelance industry. I am now in the Director's Guild 36 years, and in that time, I'm on my 65th series. So that shows you how long I go. I think, by the way, that's fantastic. For my listeners, uh, first of all, I represent and have been what is euphemistically called a creative, which sounds weird. We're all creative. But I'm in SAG-AFTRA and Equity, which is the stage actors. And I've had a parallel life over time of being a performer and an attorney. And... On my best year as a performer, I was significantly unemployed. And that was my best year. Um, I never went at it as much as your wife, Dee, who has been a guest on this uh, program, who was an incredibly successful actress, in my opinion, and also is an incredibly successful, I don't know if it's script supervisor, in the work that she, dialogue coach, thank you. Um, She's incredibly successful. People can look back at that episode. I don't want to take away from you, but... People who are listening to this, do their concern is, unlike their parents or their grandparents, people don't just take a job, get a pension, work 40 hours a week, you know, work that job for 30 hours. Even the non-creatives, not directors, not actors, this whole gig economy experience has transformed the way people have to be responsible for their lives. It's a little scary. Or it's uh, liberating, depending on who you are and how you make your way. I'm seeing you, Caitlin. You know, you're a photographer. For people who don't know, and I'll talk about this, 
um, you are a sports photographer, which is a very cool thing. I've never met one before in my life. Okay. So how did a lot of female ones? Yeah, I would imagine it's. I mean, so what actually? I want to back up a second because we can talk about the podcast. That's all great. We'll start with you, Caitlin. What drew you? You're, you're in a showbiz family. Your mom's an actress. Your dad's a director. What drew you to being a sports photographer? Um, I guess I have to go back to when I initially did. I was like, oh, I want to be in front of the camera. And my mom said, okay, so do you want to go to casting and wherever and like get your official license and then go and get rejected by a whole bunch of places until you have And she just completely talked me out of the process. Little six-year-old Caitlin. Um, which She's so of, mean. It's, it's kind of funny because well, she knew and she protected me and hopefully. Uh, she was telling her the reality, which is, yeah. okay, you go on 30 auditions and you get one and it's for one day and you feel like a hero and a superhero and it's the greatest day of your life. And, and then you, you don't even get a call back. And, and then you don't work for 14 months. This and, is, by the way, this is whether you're six or 60. When I got my first commercial, they flew me to New York to shoot it. I was living in Boston. I'm greeted by, I got a limo driver when I get off the plane. I'm greeted by this woman who's the assistant to the producers or whatever. Can I get you something to drink? I'm like, oh, I get it. I'm a star now. This is my life. It's great. Two days shooting a 30 second or 60 second commercial. It was a very big deal shooting this commercial. And then the phone doesn't ring. <laughs> so anyway, please. But yeah, so she talked me out of that early, but I always loved cameras. I think you always had disposable cameras around. There's this picture of me at, I think it was a wedding. Yeah, um, you were four. And I was four and I had a disposable camera in my hand. And that's like what I say is the beginning, even though like I probably wasn't taking too much. That wasn't No, you took a lot of great photos. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so, and then he always just took me to sport, sporting events. And I took a photography class in the eighth grade. It was like a film photography class. Uh, and I didn't want to stop. And so I joined photo extracurricular activities in high school. It was, there was the satire and humor uh, magazine. And then I just, tr I just never really stopped. And there were some really um, amazing athletes in my high school, um, namely uh, one who's actually in the NBA now. There's like a went to my high school and so I was super in love with that photographing basketball and baseball and then it just kind of became like I was the unofficial student photographer for the athletics page because the coach knew me he knew I liked to take pictures so he gave me a camera and a memory card whatever whatever and I said okay well let me join the newspaper and see if I can do this in college so um, I initially went to San Diego State and I was at the student newspaper there and I covered the National Invitational Tournament, Basketball. which was really cool. And I thought, wow, okay, I'm really doing some big events now. And I, I loved it. And football. I got to do a couple of football games at the now deceased Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego. And eventually I transferred to Michigan. And that's just, you know, the big house, Ann Arbor, all of the history that's there. Oh, it's huge. There are huge yeah. football and basketball. Absolutely. Is that the Big Ten or Pac-10 or what's their? Big Ten. Big Ten, yeah. Um, so I, I got my start 
at Michigan as well at the student newspaper. And I kind of climbed the ranks there. And then she was the photo editor of the Michigan Daily. Yeah, I was, I was photo editor with um, one of my best friends, Alexis, and we covered a whole bunch. And that was the year that Michigan went to the final four for basketball. She covered the national championship in San Antonio. And that was incredible because I got to meet my now boss um, for where I'm working now, which is Getty Images. And I have loved every single minute of it. And I kind of have to pinch myself every day where I go, oh, wow, okay, I get to cover that this Saturday. You know, it's, it's 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 a career that maybe you don't have all your weekends. But I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. But just for people who are listening who don't know, Getty Images is a huge, if not the hugest, I, I, even I, I frankly don't know. I just know I see Getty Images credited everywhere. So I assume they're a giant syndicator of photo images for they're worldwide. The largest, they're the largest in the world, I believe. It's, it wouldn't it's, surprise me. There's, there's Reuters, but I don't know how much Reuters excessively covers sport. Um, there's also AP, there's USA Today, um, and then it, you know, there's all the local newspapers, but Getty is really, um, I really like how Getty, I feel like, pushes the envelope. Um, and have, have you ever shot film, or are you just shooting digital? For Getty, or just in general? In general, and what do you, well, in general, have you used film, and what do you use now? I love using film. It's just a matter of, like, getting it all developed and processed. Uh, I first learned in a dark room. So we had a dark room that was almost like in a shed and then they renovated the high school and then it was like an official really big dark room. And I loved that. I actually still have, there was like always extra film lying around in the room. And so I, uh, I actually took some and it's like old, like slightly expired black and white film, but it still works. Um, and cool. I have it in a bit, but I still have it to use the, film camera that I actually borrowed from him, from my dad, uh, was like the, the camera I used in my class and I actually still have it. And that's what? the one I'll use when I use the film. What is it? Uh, it's- A Konica. Yeah, I think it's a Konica. Um, cool. I'm a, I'm my- High school days. Yeah. Right, my dad was a photo- I mean, my dad was a teacher, but he was a hobby photographer, but much more than a hobby, he would enter and win competitions and, he bought me a Nikon before they were digital, but there was a lot of digital, it was almost digital. It was the exposure stuff was automatic. There were all sorts of things. And he had a variety of cameras. I think today, if he were around, he would, you know, most people have this love hate relationship with digital in lots of mediums. But if you're trying to produce something quickly and you're on deadline, which by definition you are, nothing's gonna be digital. Because you literally goes from your camera into your computer, you probably pick your best image, and then you email it or something to that effect. Would that be accurate? <laughs> yeah. Um, I so as as of now, I use um, Canon's uh, professional line of cameras, which is uh, basically they have something called the One DX, um, and it's their series. So they have the second version out, and now they have the third version out. Um, I'm still at the point where it's very, very expensive. So I have a couple of the version twos, um, but it, it's really a great camera and it goes really quickly too. Like, you know, if you want to catch the moment or, or a series of moments of a play or something, it's really great that it has a high like, frame rate. Um, but it's also 
every photographer will tell you that it's not the camera that does the work, it's the photographer. Um, so I'm very happy that I have the gear that will help me um, versus will kind of hold me back. I think that's important to say, but it's definitely the work of the photographer. But I'm so lucky that I've had experiences with both film and digital. Well, Sean is in the same position. Sean started probably directing. I mean, we weren't directing filmed TV, but I, I think they certainly did a lot of video. There were different mediums. As I remember as a kid, and you weren't directing then, like I would see the odd couple or something and they would say filmed before a live audience, where I think exactly. they actually filmed three camera or shows like that or you know, sitcoms. Yeah, all sitcoms are done probably since the mid seventies, early seventies with four cameras now. And then depending on how difficult the show is, they might give you a fifth camera. But um, I started on videotape and I was doing shows in the mid eighties. And then I did, it was a time when the world went sitcom wise, went back to film for about eight to 10 years. So I was working on film sitcoms too from wow. about 1994 to about 2004. You know, both of the things that we're talking about here, sorry, it's just, there's so many moving parts. Like um, at, when you're doing sports photography, you have very little that's in your control and you can't say, guys, can you just wait? I'm trying to get a feel for how I want to do this. It's like, we're 10 minutes into the first quarter. What are you talking about? And yeah. you, Sean, for people who don't know TV, so I've acted in commercials and films and stage, but I never worked in TV. But my understanding is you're already late. <laughs> it's all like, it's just insane, the time pressures of television um, and constant updates to the script. You're dealing with egos in front of and behind the camera. You're dealing with great talent in front and behind the camera, but it's a high pressure situation. There's a lot of moving parts there. And you are somehow trying to put it all together with a sense of how it's all going to look so that it works. These are both, uh, this is all coming around to the financial thing because I'm so brilliant at this. Actually, it's a complete accident. But you, there's so many moving parts and you have to understand that you, you suddenly realize control is a complete illusion or you have one little sliver of your life that you can control and let's bring that then to finance. Because one of the things I loved about one of the shows you talked about was how the market goes up and the market goes down. And tr trying to figure out that wave is a great way to lose money. Right. A and the way you talked about just steadily, what I believe is called dollar cost averaging, just on a regular basis, putting some money into an index fund and forgetting it right. is maybe the second most important thing that I heard you talk about. So I do want to talk about that a little bit here or sure. I'd love to, because I think it factors in with the fact that you guys are brilliant at what you do in your crafts. It, it takes a lot of specialization, but also involves a lot of not you in it. Right. Okay. Anyway. Um, I've told my daughter that if she said to me, could you tell me in two sentences what your advice to me financially is? And it's two sentences. And one of them is 
live below your means and invest the rest. And the second one is don't beat the market, be the market. Okay, and by those two things I mean, so you can control what leaves your house or leaves your apartment, what your monthly expenses are, you can kind of control. Not fully, but partially. So do you need, when you're 23 years old, to lease a Tesla and you're, you know, because you have a job, you get out of college and get a $60,000 a year job. But it's not the job you want and it's not your dream job and you wish you had a higher salary. But your way of showing the world that you're really cool and great is to go lease a Tesla for 700 a month. And there's $8,400, you know, leaving your house every year. It doesn't make sense. And you live in a town, by the way, where people really care about A, how other people see them and B, look at cars as a way to show them who they are. Yeah, I mean, you agree? That, that true. but there, there's, there's that constant need to show what you are. And I, I said to my daughter, I'm missing a Y chromosome. And the Y chromosome is how come dad doesn't love cars like every other person, like it's life and death. And it's because I said to her, I see reality. And the reality is we live in bumper to bumper traffic in LA. So if I buy the Porsche that costs $50,000, what do you get to do with the Porsche? You get to sit in bumper to bumper traffic. Could that money be used someplace else that's better? Buying your first house, paying down some debt, college student loan debt. Would that be used someplace better? And in my opinion, it would. And I, so I don't have the, I have to have that car thing. I also, I'm happy he doesn't have that because to me also living in bumper to bumper traffic LA, having been a driver now for about seven years, I, don't love the traffic. And if my Prius V is going to get me from point A to B, like your Maserati will, your bright orange Maserati. Please, please don't tell people about my Maserati. With, okay. with the, uh, with the, the it's part of a fleet of cars. Yes. Um, I, I'll take that because my, I love my car and I, you know, it's, it does the job for me. I don't need it to do anything else. You know, like I, I just liked a good amount of cup holders. That was in one episode. People but, should, yeah, but people should listen. There's so many reasons to listen to your podcast. We'll get back to two things. First of all, my wife and I own an old Camry, which is a great Brooklyn car. Cause you turn the key, it goes, it gets dented. You don't care. All right. So I'm a, I'm a fan of your, what you're putting out there. I own nothing on that car. I bought it for cash from a friend. 160,000 miles, it just goes. All right. right. You know, but you, you guys talk about your Priuses like people talk about gold mines, which I love. You also, Kaylee, you're such a, you're such a great daughter. The way you talk to your yeah. dad, I know, seriously, like you, the way you guys talked about how she learned to drive and how serious she is about understanding the importance of safety. Like you are the most level-headed younger person I know, and I don't even know you. So I'm guessing it's not because you're a great actress. You're just like, or I don't know enough level-headed young people. <laughs> I live in Brooklyn, so. It's, I gotta say it's, there's a lot of people I know who are in the, like I don't necessarily fit a generation, but I am definitely a younger person, but I'm mm -hmm. not fully a millennial and I'm not fully gen, Z, I guess I'm kind of somewhere in the middle, 
Um, but I'm glad that I'm, you know, level-headed for all the 24 and a half year olds out there or nearly, you know, I probably shouldn't be putting the half out there, but yes, no, uh, me driving was very much a scary process. I wasn't the first person to, I'm 15 and a half years old. Let me get my permit. And then in six months, I'll get my driver's license on my birthday. Quite frankly, I was supposed to get my driver's license on, um, New Year's Eve and then, we, drove, we, sh we show up to the place, my mom and I, and she forgot the certificate that said I'd finished driver's ed and like the required amount of hours before I took the test. So I got it on January 7th, um, uh, the month before I was turning 17. So I took my time with it because I was um, really scared. And I wasn't the only one in the family that actually had that too. My, um, my first cousin, who's basically like a sister, Sydney. She also kind of took her time getting her license too. But yeah, we were very careful about it. And um, you're right, we do we do love our Priuses. They're just, they're good cars and good mileage. Well, that goes back that. to the point I was making earlier, which is now how much money's leaving the house. With the Prius, she's getting 47 miles to the gallon. So she has to fill up. I, the very first year I had my Prius and I live, I work relatively close to home. I filled up 14 times the whole year, 14 yeah, that, times. a little more than once a month. I think I did that this year, but it's been a pandemic, so I haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. I, we had a Ford Explorer that was the big car you buy when you get have a child, and you want to make sure that if a car ever gets hit, everybody's going to live and it's going to be fine. And I lost we, were, we were filling that up about every six days. And, you know, because of the mileage, it was terrible. And, sure. you know, but it was a nice car to drive on vacation and to put all the soccer equipment in and whatever. But once we got the Prius, I was like, I cannot believe my insurance went down with a brand new car with the Prius. Now, it's not like I'm saying, listen, there's plenty other energy efficient cars and great cars. And, you know, Teslas are great with the, whatever their electric you know, you're not spending uh, gas that's ruining the environment and stuff. But for us, it was a car we could afford. And it was a car that there was less money leaving the house. And then we put it into things we like to do, which is like, all right, we like to travel, go on vacation. My daughter, when she shot in early 2020, yeah, it was January of 2020, she shot the Sugar Bowl. So my wife and I said, we have to fly and go watch her shoot the Sugar Bowl. We right. watched probably one quarter of the game because we're like, well, where is she now? Oh, there she is. <laughs> on the sideline. Oh, my God. There she is. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we got to see New Orleans, which we had never been to before, which was spectacular. I watched my daughter throw beads down. Here, what do you call them? On, what's the show? Oh, there was a media party. And uh, was it Bourbon? Bourbon Street. Where yeah. you, everybody throws the beads down and people catch them. Yeah. Sure. I watched her do that with the biggest smile on her face for about 90 minutes. I knew no one at the party. I just went outside and there was some food. But I was also a vegetarian, so I was kind of like, what am I doing here? Let me just, yeah. you know, throw beads. And then you make friends because other people are like, well, let's try and, like, ring it around that guy's neck. Because it seems like, you know, he's unassuming and it's all harmless and everything. But it was, it was good. Well, I, I love that you guys bring your curiosity and passion to the show. Because let's face it, you're both really busy, even with the pandemic. You know, to say, I know what we'll do. We'll do a podcast. I reluctantly started my podcast literally a year ago. 
because my wife basically cornered me and said, you need to do a podcast. And I said, Holly, I thought about it years ago, but now everyone, literally everybody has a podcast. They're going to say, sorry, Eric, you're not allowed to do a podcast. We've reached our limit. Um, but apparently that's not accurate. And then I found that there are people unlike us, I'll include you and me, who like start a podcast, do five episodes, and then just like they're done. No, they just they get tired. They don't have the time, whatever their thing is. And I'm a, I think that you guys and I are similar. I have a passion for something. I'm in. And I just I'm every week I will have a show show up. I have many in the can. I'm always aware of where I'm at, where it's like, oh, God, I got to contact some people and keep it moving. And also not just like, oh, there's a guy on the street. He seems interesting. I mean, try to keep it, you know, uh, of value. Um, so, so it does take energy and passion. Like, how did the whole idea of the podcast show up for you guys? And to do it together as a dad and daughter podcast. Um, I know that over time, I kept a financial journal. Multiple. Probably, I'm on my second one. It's nearly completely finished. And it was every time I read a book and I learned something, I'd write it down. And then now I've read something in Money Magazine or I've read a blog or I've listened to a podcast that was a financial podcast. And I go, I didn't know that. I got to investigate that more. And I would, I'm with Schwab and I would call Schwab and say, can I actually do that with my Roth IRA? And if I swap this over and I do this, I can do that. And I can have a SEP IRA. I didn't know everything. So I just started developing my own financial philosophy. And he's called Schwab so many times that he has like seven of their different numbers and customer service lines on speed dial, like ready to go. And he shared all of those contacts with me. So I have all of them, which actually have come into right. play, but continue. So, but I knew that I wanted to, and I came up with a list of 19 things I wanted to show her or sit down and to explain to her. Um, about finances that I thought would help her for the rest of her life. And then we said, well, instead of just like me sitting down and telling you this, what if we did a podcast? And when the pandemic came around, we said, this is the perfect opportunity. We did a bunch of research on equipment and what you have to do. And we finally launched it in June of last year. I mean, you're both tech savvy. I mean, you, you can't do what you do without knowing some tech. And, and certainly you, Caitlin. Although, I, actually, that's a good question, Sean. Can you direct without being tech savvy? Can you direct a you sitcom? Can. You don't have to know. You don't have to know uh, exactly uh, what a camera, you know, does. You can say, "I just want a two shot there. I want a single. I want a cross master. I want whatever," and then the cameraman gets it for you. So you, I, I don't know, like, oh, this camera only has a. 30 to one lens and I'm not going to be able to shoot the wide shot I want. So which, which camera does it? Okay, let's put that one up. And then after a while you learn that. But like, for instance, the thing that I get asked the most from working in television over 30 years is for me to recommend a good television. And I haven't. <laughs> I go on Google and I go, what's a good television and how can I get a good deal? And nine times out of 10, I'm buying it at Costco. What's really funny to me is that people would actually ask you that because I, I can't imagine that. Yeah, you know, the one that has the, the 4K with the most pixels and you can do picture in picture and you can do, I'm like, I have no clue. I work wow. in television. I don't like study TVs. Right, right. It reminds me, oddly enough, of an old Archie's comic where I think Jughead was asking how, to, how does this TV work? 
And I don't remember the name of the super smart kid in the Archie comics, but he talks about, you know, the, the particles and waves and, and then you're gonna, oh no, I see it, I found the button. He just wanted to know how to turn the TV on instead of the, it, this may have lost something in translation for those of you listening. I may take it out because it was not great, but we'll see. Um, Let me tell you one other quick thing about the 19 things. Sure. I realize if I sat down with my daughter and said, hey, listen, I want a half hour, half hour of your time just to do this. I know because she's a good kid, she would give me the half hour of time. But it's completely different when you're doing a podcast because you can't take a text and you can't answer a phone call and you can't. And look down at your phone in the middle of it. You can't look down in, in the middle of your phone call and know. So now, and my daughter taught me this, probably the first three podcasts I did, I did at least 20 hours of research because I wanted any question she asked me, I could answer. Now, if I don't know every single detail of a certain thing, I'm going, I don't know. And so the show has become a lot better that it's just sort of free form. I will literally put out a piece of paper that just has, okay, these are four bullet points I want to make and everything else in there is free form. Just do whatever we do. And then there's times where I look over at her and she goes, wait, what? Can you explain that again? Which I would have never gotten if we weren't doing a podcast and I'm just sitting down in the kitchen going, hey, give me a half hour of your time. Yeah. Yeah. I might inquire about the extra explanation because, okay, dad, whatever. I definitely... Could, could be like that if there are things that are, you know, taking up my time or, you know, whatever. But um, now that it's like, you know, people are listening and, and people want to know more and we kind of have to have that always in the back of our heads. I think that's kind of what makes it really work. I think you do a great job of not having a lot of inside jokes or, um, you know, pat phrases that are just inside the family. You really do a good job. It's it's almost like you've set up a great uh, comic and straight man, except Caitlin's kind of the straight man, <laughs> at least in my analogy. And that like, you've got your shtick, Sean, and you're doing your thing. And she's like, while we don't see you guys, because I just listened to it, I can hear her kind of being like, wait a minute, what does that mean? Slow down the action. And so she's sort of, Jane Everyman, because if anybody's listening to this, it's not so they can go, yeah, I knew that. Hopefully, what they're doing is they're gonna get great information. And by the way, it's pretty entertaining. You guys are entertaining and not at all on purpose. I don't mean that you're like goofy. <laughs> Thank you. But, but like, it, you know, this could be dry as heck. Let's be honest. When I started my podcast, I thought it was gonna be a legal podcast. I talked to two lawyers and I almost wanted to kill myself. <laughs> and I said, it's got about got to be talking to creative people because that's part of what I do. It's who I am as well as this. And then the joke was, is that really legal? Was like originally supposed to be a law show. But now it's like, I want people to go, but what does that have to do with the law? Sometimes we do talk about law stuff with creativity, right. but sometimes we don't. I love that you have your wife and mom. That's not the same person for both of you. To be clear, this is not Chinatown yeah. or whatever. But um that she does this disclaimer at the end so brilliantly. I mean, she's a great actress, but she's like, by the way, and this is great lawyer language, whoever you got it from or for or whatever, congratulations. I, I did a bunch of research online and I said, I want to put this in because I want to, I'm not allowed to give financial advice. I just, I want people just to eavesdrop on what I tell my daughter. 
Right. And so it's great. So people understand you're not giving advice. Um, I never really put a disclaimer on this podcast, but I think people would have a hard time proving that I was giving legal advice on the show. Um, and on my website, I believe it says a bunch of things so that my rear end is covered, but always good. Kind of works with insurance, Caitlin, but that's another conversation for you guys. Um, the, the natural comedy that comes from you guys comes from, a, you know, it's not something that you guys have worked on except for the last 20 years of being in relationship. Right. I mean, uh, the kind of comedy that grows out of just people who are going to get all, they love each other and they enjoy each other. And I, I, this doesn't really require response. I just want to tell you, the fact that you guys love each other comes through on the show, which is such a gift for people. I just, I wanted to tell you that I really enjoy listening to it for that too. It's just nice to hear people be nice to each other on something that's entertaining. <laughs> Too many times I'm like, I've had enough of the cruelty. I'm changing the channel. Right. You know, yeah. what do you think, Caitlin? Do, like, it seems like there's a lot of cruelty in pop culture. Do you see that at all? Yeah, I do. Well, I was also just going to say from a thing that you said a little bit earlier, I don't know how many inside jokes we necessarily have, but I'm always someone who personally, if I feel like there is something that needs a little bit more context, whether how inside of a joke it is, or just it's a bit of a story that needs some explanation. I feel like I like how we can go into that a little bit more um, on the podcast. So I don't know if that's how the love translates, but yes, I, it's funny enough that, you know, my mom and I were watching a movie last night and she just didn't want to watch it anymore because it was just this like really sad, depressing story. And she doesn't, gravitate towards those as much. She's always like a happy ending kind of a person. Um, and I sometimes have to just kind of throw my phone away because it's just, it's a lot to take in. Um, well, not throw it away, but uh, I don't, mean. Put it down. don't um, look at the news updates so frequently. Right. Yeah. I, uh. I around um, the time of, you know, last summer and also just with, everything that was happening with the election and then the riots, it was a lot to, to take in. And I sometimes, instead of watching videos and, and, you know, obsessing over it and going like, oh my God, what's happening next? I had to just put it down, know that I was in control of what I was in control of and like grab a glass of water. <laughs> right. So, you know, Sean and I grew up around the same time. I don't know what, I, I'm 59 years old. I'm and, oh, okay. So you're like my oldest sister age. And so I, we listened to the same music. And by the way, for people who don't know, we start, I think it was before we started recording, Sean and I discovered we lived within walking. We grew up within walking distance of each other. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a town called Massapequa Park. He grew up in a town called Bethpage. And my high school was very close to where he grew up. Uh, probably could walk across a pathway across the Southern State Parkway. Absolutely. I mean, I know the streets we talked about. We, And so I think we grew up with certain sensibilities. We were pretty clear what America was and what it wasn't, because that's what they told us anyway. Um, we were going to go to space. We were all going to like live in a space station someday with the Star Trek experience. Uh, we listened to Diana Ross and the Beatles and the Beach Boys. 
And Sunday it was a, kind of, um, WNBC. Exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it was a time when the coolest thing you could own was a transistor radio you would hold in your hand. So you'd go to Jones Beach or Tobey Beach. Jones oh, Beach. <laughs> oh, and God. I love you'd, Jones. Yeah. And you'd walk in the incredibly hot sand filled with pop tops. They used to have soda cans where you'd throw away the thing that opened. And so you had an opportunity to get a tetanus shot at some point during the summer. <laughs> but um, yes. but um, oh you'd go by blanket by blanket and you could hear pretty much the same song coming from every radio. Because there were like three radio stations we would listen to. And it's New York. So we had two more than most other people. And I remember one summer, for instance, where there was a song, Sunshine Go Away Today, and that's just like, you could not not hear it. But my point in bringing all of this up is we kind of thought we knew what the world was about and we had it by whatever it is you get life by. I don't want to be inappropriate. But, and then as we got older, Sean, you and I, we discovered that life was really complicated. There's a lot of gray. And that maybe, you know, America wasn't always the best guys. And maybe we didn't have all the smart ideas necessarily. And you like to travel. You know, I've been to Europe. We're talking about capitalism. I'm not going to crap on capitalism. I mean, a lot of what you talk about talks about how we live in our culture. But when you go to Europe, there's a very different way that people look at accumulating wealth or being taxed or any of that stuff. Do you ever look at, I mean, you guys are still, you're doing great work on the show and it's very important for people who live here. Um, and I'm not suggesting people start throwing money at taxes that they don't need to pay. I'm just curious if you even think about a nation's priorities when it comes to finances, or is that just too big up? Is that not something that you want to look at with your podcast? Well, I, well, I don't know how detailed I'd go into that with Caitlin because I don't know how much that affects her, but I, I'm, listen, I'm totally behind. Let's tax the billionaires more and stuff like that. And I, I think you would say we probably get close to 50% of them are willing to pay more because of the inequality where we're basically losing the middle class. And, yeah. you know, it's just not okay. And I had a friend say to me about seven years ago, she'd go, well, if, if, People, if you are like, you know, making sure that the, the super wealthy get the lowest taxes and the corporate taxes are so low that, you know, the uh, profits are so out of control. They said, after a while, if you keep eliminating the middle class, this woman said to me, she goes, how would they buy their products? They won't have the money to buy their products. And then right. how, how does that end? And she's right. She's right. If you can't afford to go and buy your Apple computer or whatever it is. If you can't afford to buy it, how are you going to keep them going? Yes, I, yeah. I'll just also add that in the international aspect, when you said that, I kind of just, it brought me back to when I was studying abroad and it was just a three short weeks, but the, the way I felt there and the way I felt financially there was completely different than it was back here. And I couldn't point to one certain reason why but it's kind of why I think we both love travel just in general, because it brings you a different point of view. 
point of view and also a different sense because me living in LA every day, I'm constantly kind of thinking about money. There's something I'm thinking about that's related to money or the future. And when I was studying abroad, I was thinking about like completely different things. Like, oh, wow, I passed that train station. What's the name of that train station? Oh, like, let me learn. Or like, oh, I'm overhearing a conversation on the train and I'm trying to like improve my Spanish. Oh, is that a little bit of Catalan in there? Is that versus like, oh, wow, that person has such a nice purse. Let me, you know, try and get more money so I can get that purse. I wouldn't actually ever think that because I'm not a purse person, but just off the top of my head, it was a different headspace. And those are kind of, what you were saying, Dad, and what I just said are kind of two separate things, but I just wanted to put that out there that well, I it, can, it's a different sense. I can add to that. My wife and I were both lucky enough to work with George Clooney. And when he bought his place in Lake Como, Italy, and I, it wasn't me, but someone had told me they had bumped into him. Like It was a year later, and he said, what did you like about it? It wasn't like, oh, I'm a rich guy. I can buy this nice house on the water. It was that when he went there, at two o'clock, two fifteen, there'd be the guy who runs, you know, the butcher's shop or something like that. He's the manager of the butcher shop. He's coming home with a, a loaf of French bread and flowers and stuff like that. So that in Europe, they were their lives were not dependent on making money. It was about living life as opposed to just making lots of money. And you could say you have lots of money, and now look at my big car and big house. It was more about I want to sit on the porch with all my neighbors and discuss life. I want to go and have a party for my kid's 13th birthday party. I'm inviting the whole village. It was more about life as opposed to about just making money. And I, I agree. So I, I'm glad we brought this up together because um, you were in Spain. Where in Spain were you, Kayla? I was in Barcelona. Okay, so Holly and I were in Madrid right before the pandemic. And uh, it took me a couple of days to get used to the fact that everything closed at three and didn't yeah. open. I was like, we can't do anything. So my New York go, go, go sensibility had to adjust. So we went back to our apartment. I love Airbnbs. Went back, we bought a bunch of ham because if you're in Madrid, you just buy ham all the time yeah. and some bread. And we just like made a little snack, had some wine, watched some soccer, fell asleep, whatever. And you adjust, you very quickly adjust to a different lifestyle if you want to. But yes, yeah, so I have, I'm very fortunate. I have friends in Germany, Switzerland, the UK, and even the ones who I consider are very well to do, they may own a series of bakeries or they're well-known performers. They, they just have a very different reality about buying stuff than we do they're okay with a small apartment if it's like but i like it because it's near my favorite shops you know um I, they don't they like own a car that's just like any other car because it's small and who wants to park in basel switzerland anyway you know or or you know i don't even own a car because i live in hamburg germany and it's pointless we have the best subways which they have great U-Bahn for the, the subways that are above and the S-Bahn for the below or whatever. No, vice versa. I get confused. But it's just a, it's a different way of life. And when I started seeing that, and I am not saying don't save money, quite the opposite. I'm saying we, what you do, what you two guys do actually enables people to kind of get away from the rat race aspect 
Because if you're constantly, you know, trying to catch the next car that's going to make you feel good for the week or two until you just realize it was an empty thing, that's not where the happiness exists. Then like, I, I think you guys are like me. I love every time I've traveled, I still savor memories of certain trips. Like those were the best, uh, those were the money that I spent and that I really felt great about. Well, um, I've always said to Caitlin that we think, and we think it's been proven out, that you're gonna get much more out of your life if you base it on your life experiences and your friendships than you will on how big a house you have and how big a car you have. Because like, I, I've, I know a few people in town who have like uh, houses that are over 5,000 square feet. And what I found out if I've ever been over their house is no one in the family talks because your wing of the house is way over there and the kid's in the room watching his you know, Netflix on his laptop. So maybe once every 10 hours they see each other. And it's just because the kid came in the kitchen to grab a snack. That's wild. Not spending I, any time together. What sort of life is that? You know, we, we redid our apartment. I, I can't remember if I said this already or just the two of three of us. Um, Holly and I renovated our apartment partly as part of a scheme. You know, we're both now going to be 60 at the end of the year. And we decided, yes, we love to travel. But the second best thing is we want to see our friends. We just want to have fun with our friends. That, and so we said, we don't use a dining room. It'd be great to have a big space and a cool kitchen that more than two people could fit in. Wow. So we designed it so that basically our home is our bedroom and bathroom. And then there's just a place to have dinner parties. Right. And that's, that was worth it to us. And that, that is like, I'm never going to own a Maserati. I mean, I think it would be fun to drive one. I've driven a Porsche. It was fun, but 50,000, by the way, I don't know what Porsches you're looking at. They are a lot more than that these days. You know that. Um, I just can't. Plus, I live in Brooklyn. I don't have a garage. It will be scratched to crap and I will cry. I love having a car I don't care about. Like, I literally could not care less about my car. So, yeah. So finding the things that drive you when you're younger, like, Caitlin, I, I already have a sense that you've incorporated these values you like to travel you have friends that you talk about you're you went to michigan which i'm sure was a fantastic experience and you're you're not waiting to get your dream job it sounds like you kind of have your dream job is that accurate it's, yes it's absolutely a dream job it's something that you still kind of have to push for because it is freelance so you always i am currently in the process of learning how to push for certain things and to ask for certain things and not be scared to ask questions, even though I'm no longer a student. There's a transition that needs to be made once you've graduated, especially if you kind of graduate into a pandemic and um, that you're kind of, you have to make that leap and then, but there actually is no leap to make because I'm always learning, especially in a creative profession, but it's absolutely a dream job. Um, and I don't know how it will transform over the years, Sports photography is definitely changing because the access is changing, um, especially with the pandemic. We're no longer on the floor with the players. Like before the pandemic, I was shooting on the floor in front of, um, he's a famous drummer. I'm forgetting for what, Flea? Yeah, yeah. Flea. Flea's a bass player. Well, I'm right in front of 
Lee. And the second half starts, or like the fourth quarter starts. And um, who's the guy with the last name? Howard? Dwight Howard? Dwight Howard slams the ball next to me to like get the ball in his hands and really feel it. And then the fourth quarter starts. That probably won't happen again for a bit, but it's absolutely still a dream job. And I, I'm excited to see where it takes me. And I'm excited that this is kind of just the beginning and anything that's coming my way is hopefully going to top any previous memories. Cause I feel like that's hopefully what I can look forward to, but we'll, we'll see. I do want to, I do want to ask because I, a lot of people in showbiz and I think you're in showbiz, you know, you may not, I don't know yeah, how you feel about it, right? but I, I think you're in showbiz. And I'd say that, um, look, I have lots of women on the show. I have lots of uh, queer people on the show. I have lots of people whose voices don't get heard a lot and who also have, let's face it, it's just been hard for, I don't know, the recent century or two or three. Um, and it's, kind of, yeah, so I, I'm curious, um, you know, both of you actually, because, you know, obviously you're a woman. I'm sure you realize that, Caitlin. But also, Sean, you're the father of a woman. And that, I mean, I don't even know how to ask this question without sounding stupid. But are you are you feeling hopeful, Caitlin? Are you, are you, have you run into things where you're like, oh, crap, I got to deal with this because I'm a woman? Or, I mean, and has you, have you been able to talk to your dad or your mom or anybody about these issues? Uh, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I think when I was in, I was in Houston before I came back to Los Angeles and I she was shot working, for major league baseball there. And I, but I was also working for, um, the NFL, the and Astros or she, she shot game seven of the world series. So she so, covered the Astros for major league baseball right out of college. Yes. Yeah, so I covered the Astros for major league baseball for their social team. For people who don't know, that's like, I can't even explain what a big thing that is. It's well, just right huge. Well, right out of college, her parents were freaking out because we, <laughs> flew in, we flew in to basically miss every game and just take pictures of our daughter on the sideline shooting game. It was like, hey, what was the score? We have no idea. But look, at she's over there. Look, she's over there. Well, so that job also uh, kind of led its way into a job similar responsibilities, similar role with the National Football League. And they, I remember actually they flew out for a Patriots game. The Patriots were at, um, at playing Texas or the Texas. Houston, Texas. Yeah. And um, there, were some, there were some great pictures they took. So they're clearly my photog photographic abilities are rubbing off on them. Um, nice work. But, <laughs> um, or I guess maybe it's probably the other way around. I, should, I shouldn't say that. But all, all joking aside, um, it, I remember walking in, it was like week 10, maybe 11. And I walked in and people who had been giving me my credential, who knew me for a very, very, very long time, who recognized me, who all they had to do was give me kind of like this wristband. were like, oh, honey, hi, are you one of the cheerleaders today? I was like, no, I'm not. But, you know, they were, they were older folks who were kind of manning that credential station, um, people who kind of work ticket booths and help people to their seats. And that was fine, but it kind of just, it, it got to me a little bit because I was like, there are more roles here for a woman besides just cheering on the sidelines. Um, 
And, you know, they didn't mean any offense by it, but it was something that kind of like stuck with me a little bit. Um, and, you know, there's other scenarios too. I mean, I can't tell you how many times someone told me, wow, look at that lens, that's big. And I go, I just answer the punchline for them before they do have a chance to do it. But I always say, yeah, it's bigger than me, isn't it? And there's always kind of an implication there that, you know, how if can it's bigger you hold than me, it? how can I hold it? How am I, you know- How could you how be capable? How am right. I capable? And there's, you know, no one means anything by it. No one means that, but that's kind of what you go to naturally. Are you sure, by the way, Caitlin, you're a very nice person. And maybe I'm just uh, not a nice person, but I wouldn't be surprised if some people actually did mean something by it. And maybe I'm wrong. I didn't. I it's maybe not, I just hang out with some pretty crummy people because. Yeah, there have been a handful of times where people are, you can kind of tell, or you know, there's a group of guys who are a couple years older than you, and like there was this one time in Houston, and I was in the upper row of seats because the job in, um, encouraged you to like kind of roam the stadium, get some different perspectives than maybe anyone else would have. So I was roaming the stadium before the game and there were these guys who like came to their seats and I was actually kind of in them. So I move over, I move to an empty seat and they're still kind of harassing me a little bit. They're like, oh, you want to take a picture of us? And, you know, clearly they have some stuff to drink. So I've definitely had those experiences before, but it's not anything that I really let, like let me down or keep me down. Mm -hmm. uh, the only hard part is when there was this one time when I had the opportunity to shoot something and instead they flew out someone to do it. And that was fine. I kind mm -hmm. of, I was told that that was coming. Mm -hmm. That person then had a conflict. They had to leave before said event was going to happen. And instead of using me, like they had for at other ballparks, they flew in someone else again, who was best friends with my boss. And it was, also, all, it was always a guy. Yes. I was going to ask. I mean, that he, was the, right. Yes. He was also very qualified and he worked, you know, it's not like they just suddenly hired him out of the blue, um, but he didn't know the team as well. He didn't know necessarily who to get. And he was kind of thrown into the situation and I'm sure he executed okay, but it kind of made me upset that they didn't trust me after a full season working with this team to get this, you know, said event, said celebration of sorts. I'm sure they trusted you, although I know nothing about this. So I may be completely talking out of not my front. Is I'll but, never you know because I didn't ask, but it, it had me a little bit fired up because I was like, I don't want anyone to doubt me. And it, it's... Um, there's a handful of moments that I could probably point to besides that, that make me go, I'm going to prove them wrong. And, um, I've had a fun time doing it. So. <laughs> That's cool. how, how do you feel about that, Sean? I feel like I'm in family therapy. How, how does that make you feel, Sean? Um, well, one, I'm thrilled that she stands up for herself, but the, the event she's talking about, there was no doubt. It was somebody who wasn't shooting on a regular basis, but had shot, but because it was a huge event, they flew that person out because they were just in the major league baseball office and they had shot before, but they weren't basically an everyday photographer or like, this is one of the biggest events that major league baseball has. So we're just going to fly this person out and we're going to ignore the person who's been working it the whole season. So it's very, it was total politics, but in right. the end it turned out okay because 
they loved her work so much that other people wanted to hire her, even if she major league baseball wasn't, you know, directly hiring her for that event. But um, listen, they flew her to shoot. They flew her to San Francisco and had her go up to Dallas to shoot the um, Texas Rangers and stuff like that. But I, we, she flew in to do an ESPN Sunday night game in San Francisco. That was a game winning home run. And as we're watching the game, there she's in the background while the guy's having the Gatorade thrown on her. Wow. My wife was just freaking out. Like, yeah. you know, we have satellite TV, so we would see her either on the Big Ten Network or the uh, either shooting hockey or Michigan football or on ESPN shooting, you know, LeBron and the Lakers. We saw her uh, shooting uh, the PGA and Tiger Woods for like, we just have to turn on our TV. And, and this is also all um, pre-pandemic, but uh, sure. it, yeah, it was still, it was it was fun when they'd say, what are you shooting? And, you know, okay, we'll tune in. You know, <laughs> they still honestly do that. Well, we take the game even if we were at work. So then we come home and watch it. And then it basically goes something like this. Um, they're on a shot and it's a wide shot. And you can see my daughter in the corner of the basketball court shooting, right? And then they cut to a close-up and we scream at the TV. We're like, how <laughs> dare you cut away from that shot? Do you realize we're watching? And then Dude. we run it back yeah. and it's a little bit blurry. And then my wife takes a picture on her cell phone and then sends it to everybody. Yeah, she has this little tradition on um, Facebook. And instead of where's Waldo, it's where's Caitlin. And I think she's probably done it 20 or 30 times now to the point where colleagues of mine who are friends with me on Facebook as well as just regular friends are like, oh yeah, I saw you were at that event because your mom posted about it. I was like, <laughs> that's where we're at. Well, but I love her and she's she's the best and I wouldn't trade her for the world. And I'm so. sorry to break this to you, but you're getting the invoice for the 10% as an agent. She's well, going to be sending that anytime today. I believe she's delivering it to your bedroom later today. Oh, okay. I'll make sure I have that signed ready to go. Yeah. Reminds me like of a terrible old joke of a, a Jewish mother who keeps complaining about her health and she keeps bothering her son, the doctor. And he finally sends her a bill for all the time she calls him and he gives her advice. So she contacts her son, the lawyer, can he do this? And the son, the lawyer says, yes, he can. And here's my bill. <laughs> um, which I, I just want to, you know, we didn't even talk about your love of sports or if you even had it. Were you, Kevin, were you always a big sports fan? And was Sean, Sean, were you a sports fan? Well, do you want to go? Uh, well, I'm a bit of a sports nut and I... And you went to BC and... played basketball at BC. You played basketball at BC. Yeah, so I have a sort of a big sports background. I um, played... For people who don't know, Doug Flutie was around in BC around the time you were there. Doug no, Flutie, it was Doug after? Flutie was after me. I graduated oh. in 78. Okay. But my freshman year, we were top... We were top 23 out of four years I was there. And my freshman year, there was no such thing, 1974, 75 was my freshman year. Okay. There was no such thing as the final four. It was just like, okay, here's the four teams that are you know, going to whatever city to play in the national championship. Right. And we beat Syracuse by 20 points, both at their place and our place um, during the regular season. And then in the final, what it would have been the final eight teams, we lost to them by two. Uh, Otherwise we would have gone to the final four, which like I said, didn't even exist. 
when I went to Boston College, it was just an independent, like, so we would play Notre Dame, and we'd play Holy Cross and other teams in the East Coast. Um, you know, and then you'd play two or three big teams every year, like, oh, you are going to fly to Oregon to play Oregon. You're going to play North Carolina at North Carolina or something. But this was before, I played at BC before there was even the Big East. Then they were in the Big East for 20 years, and now they're in the ACC. But yeah, I, I played at Boston College. I did every sport imaginable. You know, like in, in high school, I was football, basketball, track and field. I played racquetball nonstop and you know, won a bunch of tournaments all through college. I got out of college and I went to the Olympic Training Center for a sport called Modern Pentathlon. So I, I lived in San Antonio, Texas at the Olympic Training Center for that sport for two years, wow. 82 to 84. Um, during that time, I had a separated shoulder and a, a knee injury, but, you know, I came close to making the Olympic team, but didn't. Oh. Um, we went and won the silver medal that year. So I felt like a tiny sliver of that medal is mine because um, the you guy- trained, they, He trained with all of them. Well, yeah. not oh. only that, there was one guy who finished fourth in the Olympics individually, but we won the silver medal as a team medal. Um, he was a guy who was a good runner, but not a great runner. And I, myself and this other guy were great runners. And they had us train him the last six weeks, like go out for runs with those guys. And we pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. And he ran his best time by like 30 seconds in the Olympics. And that's how we won the silver medal. Isn't that great, by the way? What a great message that even when people are doing an event that's a solo event, whether it's athletic or, you know, Caitlin, you're a solo photographer, you work for yourself. We're all part of a team. There's always other people that are a contribution to us and our success. The event I worked this past Saturday was 100% a team event. Um, I was editing a photographer, but I also took my cameras and I still had to call, <clears throat> excuse me. I still had to call someone because there was like an issue. There was a technical issue. It's, it's always a team thing. It's never not a team thing. Um, but so his love of sports, you know, you came out to LA for the um, Olympics and you gave yourself six weeks to find a job in show business. And then he did. How's that going? <laughs> it's going okay. Not so bad. <laughs> that's how he met my mom. And so like by extension, you could technically say I'm here because of the Olympics. It's a bit of a stretch. But the whole point is, is I, you know, you took me to UCLA games, anything that was UCLA I went to, well, we men's had... volleyball, uh, NCAA championships, uh, UCLA soccer, women's soccer was super dominant. Um, the men's basketball team, well-known with John Wooden, although he's probably gone by then, I don't know. You, yes, he was me. gone by then. But, but we had season tickets to UCLA football for... 21 years or something. Yeah. Wow. So uh, of six home games every year, my wife would come to two of them. My daughter would come to two of them. And then there'd be like two people from work that I would go with. Um, but it, we did that for 21 years. So she was going down, we were nine rows up and she would go down to the, to the uh, railing and shoot players as they were coming out for warm ups and stuff. And then it was just sort of like, I wanted to make sure because of my sports background that she one 
incorporated just physical fitness and health into her life, the rest of her life. So I, when we did go to sporting events, even though you go to a Dodger game and it's like beach towel night. So, you, oh, look, you're going to bring home something because you might find baseball boring. Um, and now it's one of my favorite sports. <laughs> I, I tended to take her to women's sporting events because I wanted her to have an example of like if she's going to play soccer or she's going to play volleyball or softball or whatever in high school, that there was an example of people that are successful. So like we went to see the women's softball UCLA and the probably six times we went, three of those years, they were national champions. So we would be sitting next to the dugout and literally mm -hmm. a woman who would be on the US Olympic team would turn to her and go, hi, Caitlin, how are you doing? And she's like seven. That's awesome. There wasn't like 900 fans and the th there were 30 fans and most of them were parents and then the two of us. Right. We were sitting close to the dugout. And so this girl, Stacy Newman, who was the catcher, used to say, Hey, Caitlin, how are you doing? And then we would see her sometimes at the football game. She had seats one time, like one row in front of us. And she'd come by and she'd high five my daughter. I'm like, Do you know, she won a gold medal. In the Olympics. <laughs> She's like, This is actually really? the first time I've ever heard this story. I've yeah. Never... Stacy Newman. She was uh, a catcher. That's Olympic so team. cool. Yeah, it was like crazy. So, we had the opportunity for her to see all those events. And then we also went to like, be like, oh, look, there's a national championship in volleyball that's being held at Poly Pavilion. Let's go to that. Let's go to, uh, you know, the NCAA swimming championships. We went to in Long Beach when she was probably eight years old. Just so she was exposed to all this stuff, I wanted physical fitness to be part of her life. Right. Whether she became a star in sports, I didn't care. I just right. would like her to be that part of a, like, a full life. Yeah, so we... I, I did soccer for 13 years. There was a couple seasons of softball. There was one season of basketball where he was my coach, like kind of little league stuff through the mm -hmm. park or whatever. And so it was always just kind of around and I always gravitated towards it. And it was always so much fun. My favorite phenomenon that's a human phenomenon is the wave. You could have people in that stadium <laughs> who hate each other, who are fans of the opposite team, who, who, are have, different, who, who, are sure. who have different political opinions, who have different you know, just it, all walks of life could be there. Freaking E.T. could be in the stadium and he would do the wave. So, um, and, and you only get that at sports. You're not doing that at a concert. You're not doing that at a, you know, orchestra. You're not doing that at a movie theater. It's only really sports. Um, Cause that's where you can be like loud or I guess maybe a concert, but it's really just sports because yeah, nope. and everything. Yeah. All I know is, um, uh, I couldn't tell you if there was one exact thing that got me into it, but just growing up, you know, in a sports family, family, in, in one where we watch sports and one where, you know, I don't know if it's a crime or not. Um, my dad was the one who got me into the Boston Celtics. So when I was like nine or 10, it was the Lakers versus the Celtics, Kobe versus the big three, you know, KG, all of them. And I was the only one at school who was like, oh, the Celtics are going to win it this year. And <laughs> they did. And I am a Celtics fan now. It is what it is. I don't know if it's a crime because I'm from L.A. I've never. It, you know, it's not. I'm a lawyer. It's not a crime. It, it's, well, good. Um, especially because I'm from the East. It's yeah, actually bonus points. Is that really legal? Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, in him being from New York, too. But then he fell in love with the Celtics when he was in college. But so. Sports have always been been uh, close to the heart. I have two questions because we're going to have to wrap up. I I could talk. I could literally hang out with you guys 
which is part of the charm of the podcast is we, for those of you listening, you really need to check out the podcast because you will have fun just hanging out with these two. It's called Dads, Daughters, and Dollars. You can find it all over wherever you get podcasts. Um, two big questions. One, because you're a Long Island guy like me and because you're related to him, the Mets seem to be having a really great year. There's been a lot of changes. I, My wife is already preparing for the worst, but I think this could be the year the Mets really do it. Do you guys have thoughts on the Mets? That's my first thing. And then the second question I have is, do you watch and love Ted Lasso? All right, those are my oh, two questions. Oh, I'm going to answer the second one first. <laughs> we we don't actually have Apple TV, but because like I'm in the TV Academy and Directors Guild, we get sent all these screeners. So about a month ago, we came home and watched it. And it is, I think, the very first show I've ever binge watched. Because when I get home Thursday, Friday are my two shoot days. When I get home on a Thursday, I'm usually drained because it's, we're pushing, pushing, you know, like you said, the pressure of trying to make the day. And I came home and I watched the first episode and I said, oh, I am madly in love with this show. I watched two more, two more on Friday. And then on Saturday, I watched four and got through the whole. And I, I within a week, I said, to, I came home and said to my wife, it was a Thursday. And I said, when's season two coming out? I can't wait. I think it's actually coming out this because, and this The trailer's is, online. Have you seen the trailer for season two? Yeah. Okay, good. The, the, the thing that's amazing to me about Ted Lasso is because of the political environment and how much the country is torn apart, here's a guy who is a never-ending optimist. And it's so great, no matter how much a football coach going over to be a coach of a soccer team where it's life and death in England, and he finally wins people over where despite how much he's being put down, he can only see the, the upside. He's only positive all the time. I'm madly in love with that show. Right, but he's also not stupid and he's got a lot of heart. The interactions with the owner and, the, and some of the players show that he's goofy, but he's not stupid. And he, he reminds me of John Wooden. You know, he has the pyramid of John Wooden's principles. I pointed out to my wife and because I'm a big John Wooden fan, even by the way, not a sports guy. But and for people listening, it was more important to coach Wooden that his team were good men. And he would have been good women if he coached women. Winning and losing was really not the primary goal for him. In my, I mean, from everything that I've seen. And yeah. I have the pyramid on the wall in my office. I have a little keychain of the pyramid. <laughs> okay, so I'm talking to some tribe members then. Um, <laughs> it's it's such a, it, you know, integrity is something that feels like it's been missing from the cultural conversation. And I feel in a way that Ted Lasso really opened my heart and reminded me that it matters to certain people still. And, you know, when Roy Kent, who's a, a soccer player, is reading A Wrinkle in Time and realizes that he needs to step up and be a leader. I mean, I made my wife watch the first episode and then she re-watches it. Like we constantly re-watch that show when we're feeling eh, because it's just about everything. Anyway, so thank you. I love that you love that, both of you. I assume you like it, Caitlin. I, yeah, it was fantastic. I binge watched it. Um, I my boyfriend flew into town and we went, we got an Airbnb that was like two hours away, and we I hadn't seen it yet. He watched it for the second time with me because he had access to Apple TV. 
Good and, guy. Good guy. Uh, we, we binged it. Um, we did not stop. I think we watched the first six and then we watched the next four. It was absolutely incredible. Um, and, uh, like, I think I cried some tears, but just like beautiful, good tears. I cry too. I, by the way, you know, actor, performer, I mean, like I, I cry all the time. And Juno, the, the actress whose name is Juno, the one who plays the young, uh, woman who originally is dating one soccer player and ends up dating another, I think right. is a fantastic actress. She's doing yeah. amazing work on that show. I'll watch her do anything. All right, I'm sorry, we're really running out of time. The Mets, the please Mets. support my fantasy. They're doing it this year. Yeah, I think there's a good chance. I mean, I'm not following it as closely as you because of working in television, I don't get to see as many games, but I do. I think they have a legitimate shot. And it, listen, I know it sounded weird to hear to say that I was a Celtic fan, but it's because the way I was taught to play basketball in both high school and college was the way I always saw the Celtics play. And with the exception of the New York Knicks, like in the sixties, when I was watching them win championships early, was it 69, 72, whatever it was, um, they played like a team. And that's the way I was always taught. And I see a lot of pro basketball now is hopefully the teams that are the best teammates win. But a lot of times it's just individual play. Like, it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one with guys watching. A lot of one-on-one, -on -one, just give the ball to two players and just everybody get out of the way and let them score 40 points. And to me, it's not as exciting as seeing the ball pass, 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 fast break, go, go, go. And that's what I watched with the Celtics growing up. And it's what I watched with the Knicks for that period of time when it was like Will Street, Paul Frazier. Yeah, and, so yeah, and you had it's like... It's hard for me not to root for team play, which is obvious what the Mets are doing this year. Yeah, don't forget Dollar Bill Bradley, one of my all-time favorites. Oh, one of my favorites. Oh, the Pearl Monroe. I grew up with that stuff, too. We, we're definitely going to have to have a beer. Pearl Monroe moves all the time. I would go to the playground, and I I still have a spin move. I don't have as much knee cartilage as I used to have, but I still have a spin move. But we're fixing that soon, so it's all good. Um, uh -huh. All yeah. I know is that there's the polar bear on the Mets, and I remember just him being the biggest news in the world uh, for the 2019 all-star game or whatever. And he, he was either the home run champion or something that year. Mm -hmm. And I remember him definitely making a name for himself. So from what I've heard and seen from the Mets, it's like, you know, maybe you never know. Crazier things I have happened. Have a, I think they have a very good chance. We're going to end on that positive note. I <laughs> want to, um, I want to thank Sean and Caitlin Mulcahy. Together, they are dads, daughters, and dollars. They're also, I have a feeling, are going to become even better friends of mine if I can ever get to the West Coast again. Or if you guys come out East. Um, we'll, yeah, I think it would be great. Thank you so much for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. It was so great to spend time talking to you. Thank you. Weren't they ridiculously fun and sweet and lovely? They're just great. You know what else is lovely? Abe's muffins. Get them. Put them in your face. They are allergen-free. Tastes so great. Come in all kinds of flavors. You should subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Or leave a rating on one of the many services. If you have questions for me or anyone, go to isthatreallylegal.com. Go to the comment section and leave a comment and send it to me. I really want to hear from you. We are approaching the one year anniversary of this podcast. How you doing? Did you get your shots? 
I hope so. I did, and I feel fantastic. Still wear your mask. Still take care of yourself and all the people around you. Really. You know, we're going to make it through to the other side of this thing, but only if we think of other people as well as ourselves. So please do that. I've got more exciting guests coming up on this podcast. Do not miss it, please. Um, as well as a one-year anniversary podcast of me talking with someone about me. What could be more exciting? Uh, I have no idea, but don't miss it, all right? Lovely to talk to you. Be well, be safe, and we will talk soon. Bye.